It's time for JT the Brick. Hey, JT, how you doing, man? Now there's a new team, and everybody's pretty much new, and I got their back. I want this thing to work. Everybody's got to get on the same page. JT the Brick. Yeah, there's going to be ups and downs. There's going to be last-second losses. There's going to be a draft pick that doesn't make the team. Whatever it is, it's Raider Nation. JT, thanks for having me on. Always great to catch up with you, and keep it going, okay? I'll talk to you soon, man. And now, here's JT the Brick. Out of the gate, JT with you on a Monday on a big weekend. Wow, what a weekend in life and sports and music. The Academy Awards, Raiders news, Josh McDaniels just spoke at the Breakers where I was two weeks ago down there. What an assignment if you're Raider Nation and media and you're down there at the Breakers in Palm Beach. What a beautiful resort that is. As the NFL owners are getting together, the owners' meetings, and that'll be the big topic today as we are brought to you by the world-famous company, Golden Entertainment. They own all those PTs, 64-plus in the Valley. We're doing a lot with them leading up to the draft. Uh, Golden Knights, I went to the Golden Knights matinee game on Saturday. Got a lot to say there. If you're going to PTs, they are an official partner of our Vegas Golden Knights, and we need your push. To the playoff push as we get rolling here at PTs. They fuel the monologue. We have a big week ahead. And we're going to be all over the place this week. We continue with our series of Raider draft picks. And we went from the 60s now into the 70s. A former Raider linebacker, Monty Johnson, who's a great story. One of the all-time Raider teammates in greats to play for this organization will join us at the bottom of the hour. He'll come in, we'll ask him about his draft process, and he was a brilliant college player. How Al Davis discovered him. And the first couple interviews we've done with these draft picks, Fred Bolitnikoff, and we had a great week last week. As we were talking to insiders here, we rescheduled Art Shell, who's probably going to join us later this week. they got great stories. And the draft is very important for this town as Detroit was just named to host a draft in 2024. They're also named today Detroit to be the team on Hard Knocks this year, which could be interesting. They're a bad team with a loud coach. That usually works. Next year's draft's going to be in Kansas City. No thanks. I don't go to Kansas City other than a football game once every 10 years. Nothing against Kansas City. I live in Vegas. It's a lot better in Vegas, so I won't be there. And we have the draft, which is going to take over our strip. And we got pressure on us because we have to deliver. Vegas has to deliver hotel rooms, airport. We got to get people's butts to this draft, and we don't have a draft pick. So it's kind of like going to a wedding when you don't know anybody at the wedding. (laughs) But this is very important for Vegas. It's very, very important that this is more successful than Nashville that had 600,000 people in Nashville. So numbers are important to Vegas. That's why Vegas got a football team. We said we would deliver the numbers and we're going to have to do that. So that's where we're going to go today. I'm jumping all over the place. Oh, I, and the Final Four, which is big because Vegas is the capital of college basketball. When the tournament kicks off, I picked Duke to win it all. Feel good about that pick. Most people didn't. A lot of people were fading Duke because they lost down the stretch at home to North Carolina. No one thought they'd come together. Too much pressure on Duke to win it all. So let's see if they can get it done. You know, Duke's never played North Carolina in the tournament. That's mind-blowing. There's a few stats in life and sports that blow you away. That's one, and they'll get a chance to play on Saturday. Then the other side has Villanova and Kansas. And these are going to be big games, and if Coach K wins on Monday night, that will be one of the greatest exits in sports history, period, compared to anybody because he's at the top of the mountain of all-time great coaches, and if he leaves with the championship, that's going to break the Internet. 
Speaking of breaking the internet, we're a sports talk show. I tend to talk too much sports. My other podcasts, people like when I talk more about my life, what I'm happening with movies and politics and this and that. I keep, I stick to sports. But I watched the Academy Awards last night, and I had to do my show live during the Academy Awards when the Will Smith slap to Chris Rock went down. That was incredible. It leads the show because it was one of those moments. I love the movies, and it's one of the only movies I saw was King Richard. And when I saw it, I instantly said that Will Smith would win Best Actor. It blew me away. The role was amazing. So the Academy Awards go off, and I'm working backwards on my weekend. So Sunday, the Academy Awards, my wife and I watch every year, and we enjoy it because we love the movies. So I'm sitting there, and it's slow, and it's not funny, and it's boring, and I'm saying they're going to screw this up again. They are going to screw it up again. They're going to take me out to three and a half hours. They're going to sing every bleeping song. They're going to do fake comedy bits with Amy Schumer. Some will be fun, some won't, and it's going to suck. And it was going down that road. But they had the 50th anniversary of The Godfather, 60th anniversary of Bond. So I thought that was kind of cool and a couple of cool presenters that came out there. But then the slap heard round the world, and it's a sports story because it was a sports movie. King Richard's about the Williams sisters where Chris Rock dropped a joke on Jada Pinkett about her hair, G.I. Jane 2. Will Smith initially laughed at it. He laughed at the joke. He thought it was funny until his wife rolled her eyes and looked at him and this incurred. Jada, I love you. G.I. Jane 2, can't wait to see it. All right? <laughs> <laughs> it's, that, was a, that was a nice one. Okay. I'm out here. Uh oh, Richard. <laughs> oh, wow. Wow. Will Smith just smacked the s*** out of me. Get my name out your mouth. Wow, dude. Yes. It was a G.I. Jane jump. Keep my wife's name out your mouth. I'm going to, okay? <laughs> I can, oh, okay. That was the uh, greatest night in the history of television. Okay. <laughs> That was one of the most shocking moments in television history. The Academy Awards, everybody. We're not talking about the SAG Awards. We're not talking about NFL honors. We're talking about the Academy Awards. And Will Smith, and then I go to the internet, and I go to Twitter, and everybody's wondering if it's fake. What do you mean if it's fake? He slapped him right across the face. Could have knocked him out. He's a big guy. And Chris Rock took it. And he took it on the chin, and he kept going, but he was rattled. He was rattled, and I look at my wife, and I said, is that real? And then I looked out at my phone, and it is real. And then people are going crazy, because what I thought was really unique is I knew Will Smith was going to win Best Actor coming up. He still had to give the speech after winning. Here's Will Smith in King Richard. Art imitates life. I look like the crazy father, just like they said. <laughs> I look like crazy father, just like they said about Richard Williams. Um, but... Love will make you do crazy things. That was crazy. So I thought that was unbelievable television. Believe me, I did a three-hour sports talk show last night. Nothing was close to that. That blew everything away. It dominated social media, and it's dominating social media today. And I'm going to podcast on this later today, but I'm not getting into wokeness and why this happened and do you defend your wife. It's a joke or not. You all have your opinions on that, but I wanted to lead with it. I've been talking about it all night and talking about it this morning with my friends. So that was one of the big events that went down in my life on Sunday. 
Now I want to go back to the weekend on Friday. Friday night, my wife and I went to dinner with a couple downtown. Todd English has a hotel, new hotel downtown. We went to the restaurant there and had a nice dinner with another couple, good friends of mine. And I made sure I put my phone away at dinner because too many people are on their phone at dinner and it's not right. You know, you go out to dinner with a couple, you put your phone away. So my phone starts buzzing in my pocket. And it's not a text message, it's someone calling me. And then it happened again and again. And I got two sons who are away at college, so I'm going to pick up the phone. And I look down, and it's friends telling me that Taylor Hawkins died, the drummer of Foo Fighters. Wow, what a gut punch. What a gut punch that was on Friday. I love Foo Fighters. We play their music. We're going to play it the entire show today. And they were kind of the bridge band for me. After Rush, I've seen Rush a bunch. I, go, I met my wife at the Rolling Stones, and I say to myself and to Bobby, I love rock and roll, but Aerosmith's getting older. Everybody's getting older. Tom Petty died. You know, who's left? I just saw Billy Joel. He's getting up to his late 70s. And I always said Foo Fighters. My perfect fit for me. I love their albums. I love their energy. I like Dale, Dave Grohl. Absolute gut punch. End of the night dinner, I came home. My wife and I went in the backyard. We turned up the Foo Fighters, had a couple of nightcaps, listened to a bunch of their tunes, and that was really a bummer because I thought they'd play Allegiant Stadium. They could sell out Allegiant Stadium, and they're going to be here for the Grammys, and reportedly they're going to play. But that was part of my weekend too, and that stayed with me all weekend. And I was texting a bunch of friends on that because I just planned on for the next 10 years going to a lot of Foo shows. I just thought they'd play here. They'd play here once or twice a year. And it would always be that show. Yeah, where are they playing? Let's go see them. Let's get a bunch of guys and friends together and couples and go see Foo Fighters. So after last week, we spent the entire week talking about John Clayton passing away. Then this was a gut punch because I've seen the band six or seven times and a lot of friends were texting back and forth. Then Saturday. I wake up, and I find out I'm going to the Golden Knights game. And I go to the Golden Knights game, and they are trailing 3 nothing in the game going into the third period. So I had some pretty good seats in the lower bowl. and went up to one of the lounges there. I think the Jack Daniels lounge were on that side. We get a beverage, and I'm sitting there with my buddies and my wife, and I say to myself, look, I don't leave early, but it's Saturday. I got stuff to do. You know what I mean? I'm not going to sit here if they're down 5 nothing with four minutes to go, getting out of here and all that. So I said, we need a dirty goal. We need something in the first two minutes. And then all of a sudden, they start scoring goals. And they take the lead. And it's just incredible. Bobby, we'll get to the game winner and how they won this game. It's one of the best hockey games. I've been going to hockey games since I've been 14 years old. I've been going to a lot of Golden Knight games. This Saturday game with VGK was everything I love about sports. I went, I was engaged, I was live, I went nuts, I put it up on Twitter, I went crazy. This is what I live for. Pull on his backhand, goes behind, looked to wrap it around. The goalie has now lost his stick. Wah looks up, taps it back to Donov in the middle, he shoots, he scores! Jubilation! Vegas in overtime! Sets up to Donov, Knights 5, Blackhawks 4, incredible comeback win for Vegas. Dan Duva on the call. That was an incredible, incredible comeback win. And I'm blessed to host the Raiders pre and post. I've been in the building for all these overtime wins with the Raiders beating the Chargers and beating the Ravens and being a part of that. So I live a blessed life when I could see that. Lucky. I've only gone to two games this year because working during the week, I can't go. I went to that game. I came out of that place 
just exciting. You walk out of the arena, it's daylight. It was like 89 degrees out. I got the jersey on, the number nine that they gave me before Eichel, patting people, talking to fans, having a great time. So this was an emotional weekend. A lot happened. I gave you three things to talk about. It's the Raider offseason. I got all the fresh sound I'm going to play from Josh McDaniels coming up. But if you want to comment on Will Smith, good day to do that. I want to do that today because I want to know who's listening to the show and what you thought about that. Did he overstep or did he protect his wife? He might have been in that situation before. And I, I give the example of NFL honors. NFL honors is all comedians. Comedians are the host of that show. You don't say that to J.J. Watt's wife. You don't say that to a football player who can come on stage and destroy you. This is the Academy Awards. Will Smith is arguably the biggest guy in the room other than Rock. Other than The Rock, Will Smith probably played Ali in the movie. If he threw a full punch, he would have broke him in half. So I thought that was a really big moment in Americana in movie history. And I like movies. So if you saw the movie, if you want to comment on that, 702-365-9200. If you want to comment on Foo Fighters and what happened to Taylor Hawkins, please do because I love music, as you know. And then if you're a Golden Knight fan and you went to that game because it was about as loud of a game as I've been to, that comeback was epic, let us know if you were at the game and let's try to get this team to the playoffs. They're fighting to get in the playoffs here. If they get in, something good can happen, but only if they get in. 702-365-9200. All right, so today Josh McDaniels met the media at the Breakers NFL owners meetings. And this is, I got a couple of friends who are down there, and I've been watching the Twitter of Paul Gutierrez and Vic Tafer and our teammate Vinny Bonsignor, and they should all have big shows because Vinny's down there doing all this. So Josh McDaniels was asked a lot about this Devontae Adams trade and how it came about, how it came together, what was the key to this trade overall, and how the Raiders got the best wide receiver. You know, Dave, Dave talks to all, all, the, all the teams, and I think you have, you know, you just kind of want to make sure you have a relationship with everybody and kind of, you know, if there's, if there's anything like that that's out there, um, you know, you just try to, see if there's there's opportunities to improve your team. I don't know exactly the day or anything like that, but um, when, it, when it became apparent that they were gonna think about doing something like that, you know, then you have to start doing your work and, you know, really, you know, diving into the process of researching, you know, the player, the player's fit. Um, you know, and anything that you can to try to figure out if it's something that would make your team better. Um, and then that's a different process, you know, which involves a lot of different layers and research phone calls, tape evaluation, uh, contacts, you know, and, you know, hopefully when you're making a decision that's, you know, of, of, of that magnitude that, you know, you, you cross all the T's and dot all the I's. And with Devontae, you know, we just felt like, this is the kind of a player that you would you would consider doing this for, and uh, you know he he's certainly been a great football player. And after having the opportunity to meet him, you know, and, and spend some time with him the other day, um, everything that we had heard, everything that we were told, uh, all the different recommendations and all the different things that we heard about him as a person, uh, those were true too. And so feel really comfortable about the decision that we made and really good about 
um, you know, the player and the person that we've added to our team. All right, so that was a long-winded answer about this, but that's what you do there at the owners' meetings, and they, they're not going to tell you much. I, I've interviewed the coach. They're not going to give you a lot. They come from the Patriots. Their job is not to give us what their mind's thinking all the time. They come from the Belichick tree. They're not going to do it. So they're basically telling you they like the player. They did their due diligence. He became available. They pounced, and they liked the deal. And the fact that Derek Carr had something to do with this is that he's a player that played with them in college at Fresno State, and the stats will come together, but the chemistry should be there. I think that says a lot about him. Um, he's unselfish. Um, and, and at the end of the day, I think you're talking about two really mature guys. Um, and look, if you want to win and you want to win playoff games and you want to compete to do the things that uh, we want to do in our organization and those players want to do themselves as teammates, those are the things you have to do. There's, there's really no choice about this. I mean, you, don't, you can't just, you know, be hard-headed and, and start throwing it to one person and all that stuff. That'll never work. I don't care who the two people are. Um, you know, I've, I've been fortunate to coach some different combinations of those kind of players. And, and you know, uh, the, the right thing to do is always what's best for the team. And I think those two guys understand that. And uh, the fact that they have a great attitude about it, I think, is really, is really helpful for everybody else. Josh McDaniels coached Tom Brady and Randy Moss in one of the most electrifying seasons. They were undefeated in the regular season. He knows what a power duo can do, but you got to spread it out, and the Raiders have a lot of weapons to spread it out. Josh McDaniels was asked about all the movement in the AFC, the quarterbacks, the great players, all seeming to come to the AFC. This conference is loaded. You know, I think each team's trying to do what they think is necessary to improve their team, you know, and... Um, you know, it, 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 none of this stuff really matters unless you can get it all to work the right way when you get on the field. So I think there's been a lot of transactions and there's been a lot of changes. And now there's going to be a lot of work that needs to take place between now and September and between September and the end of the season. Um, there's a lot of building. There's a lot of improvement uh, that we certainly have to make uh, on our football team. And uh, that's where the focus is probably going to lie for most of us coaches at this point is not just staring at the piece of paper and feeling really good about the names that are on it, but all right, now it's time to go to work and see what we can make of this group. So eager to do that uh, in Vegas, as I'm sure everybody else is as well. Yeah, he's very eager there. This is the first time he's doing it since he was the head coach of the Denver Broncos. And we're looking at a team now that's a much better roster than he had when he was with Denver, and it didn't work out with the Broncos. Let's move down to his comments on the offensive line, because I think that's the most important. The Raiders didn't do much in regards to the offensive line. They didn't go out and get a high-profile free agent, and they don't have a great offensive line to begin with. The media asked the head coach about that. I, I think you always you try to do what, what you feel like is best to improve every area of your football team. And I, I know that there was some things in free agency where, you know, you, you're going into it saying, okay, let's take a look at all these different areas. And sometimes it just doesn't really fall within your range or, you know, it, it kind of gets to a point where you don't feel comfortable doing it. Um, I know we had some interest in some people uh, to try to improve the, the, the overall group, the depth and the competition of the group. 
Um, I think we have a lot of players there that are not at their ceiling yet, and I think our job as coaches uh, will always be to try to maximize the players that we have. So um, there's, there's a lot of ways to improve. You can add players. You can improve them. And so we're going to take every avenue we can to try to do that. We still have the draft. We still have post-draft. We still have June. We still have August. There's a lot of different avenues to do that. But I, I'd say I feel pretty good about the group that we have. And now it's, you know, our job in the short term here is to try to coach them, get them to play better, each each group, each man to play better, and, and, and that's what we'll focus on. That's a very important soundbite from Josh McDaniels, the head coach of the Raiders. The players who are fortunate enough to still be here will be evaluated by these new coaches, and they better get better. That's what they're going to do, and that's what they do in New England. They coach better than everybody else. So they're going to take the players, some they love. We know they love Max Crosby. Know that for a fact. They love Chandler Jones. They went out and got him. They don't have to coach them at a level that they have to coach some of the other players to get them to be much better. Speaking of Chandler Jones, another player that he addressed over at the owners' meetings in Palm Beach earlier today, one of the premier defenders in all of football the last 10 years who's now a Raider. Yeah, I've known Chandler for a long time, and so uh, Chandler's a really good guy, and uh, he's obviously a great football player, and he has an infectious personality. Um, he practices like that. He comes to work with a smile on his face. Um, he, he's an easy guy to like, and so I think that um, the, the, his teammates will embrace him quickly, I'm sure, uh, and he'll reciprocate that with what he does for them at practice and hopefully on the game field. Very important player that was brought in because he's on the back end of his prime. He's on the back end of his prime, and he has to play great. The Raiders didn't bring him in here to give him a paycheck and say, hey, enjoy yourself before retirement in the Hall of Fame. They need him to play at a very high level. So there's going to be high expectations for Chandler Jones, and he seems to be completely healthy, loves this team, and another guy just thrilled to be in the building. So good to hear about that. And then finally, the contract extension for Carr, which is one of the main reasons why the media is at the owners' meetings. They want to hear from the owner about what's going to happen with the team, what they're thinking about for the draft. But if you do have a good player, a very good player, an elite player, and a contract is up, it's a feeding frenzy for the media who all wants to know. And by the way, happy birthday to Derek Carr today. Derek's birthday's today, 31. He got a hole-in-one the other day by himself. He's been in the news a lot. Happy birthday to the quarterback today, Derek Carr. Hopefully we get a couple of calls on that. Here's the head coach. I mean, I feel Derek's fit on the team is, is, as a player is obviously, uh, you know, what, what we're looking for and what we want to try to build around. I mean, look, I, you know, our relationship continues to, uh, to grow personally. Uh, we, we won't be able to do anything on the field here for a little bit, but you know, that'll be a process. And I think ultimately, you know, you try to do what's best for the team. And I think both sides got to do what's best for, you know, it, 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 when we get into those conversations with Derek, you know, Derek's going to have to make decisions about what's best for him. That's what each man's right is. And they should do that for their families. And at the same time, you know, we got to try to do what's right for the team. And, uh, you know, there'll, there'll be a sweet spot in there, hopefully for everybody. And we'll be We'll be excited to go forward like that. A sweet spot. I think it would be a sweet spot. Derek's going to make a lot of money. He's going to make a lot of money, no doubt about that. And then we're going to see a situation overall where we're going to be talking about what type of contract will it be, how will it help out, how's it going to help out the franchise long term. 
by the way they structure that. I don't get involved in Derek's money. Derek deserves some money that's coming his way. There's a lot of quarterbacks lesser than him that have just been paid a big big amount of money. And Derek had a lot to do with you know, Devontae Adams coming here. So I don't think you bring Devontae Adams in and you don't reward Carr. But I have no idea what the money's going to be and how it's going to be structured. But that should be the next domino to fall coming up. So we just gave you a lot there in the opening of the show. We're live in Vegas. Thank God we have a stream outside of Vegas so I can do this show every day. Let's hear from some people around Raider Nation, around the globe, who want to jump in and talk about all these big topics over the weekend. Monday's a free-for-all. Monty Johnson will join us at the bottom of the hour, 702-365-9200. Dave's in Seattle where the computer's working today. How are you, Dave? Hey, thank you, JT. Long-time listener. Second-time caller, but I was a two-decade cleanup batter of the John Clayton Show Saturday morning straight out of nice. Seattle, first on 950 KJR, then 710 ESPN, and each week after three hours of pounding calls from his beloved cast of Clayton cronies, it was always a thrill to hear John Clayton say we wrapped the show up with Commando Dave, and sadly, I was the last caller of the John Clayton Show, so I am genuinely honored to be on Raider Nation Radio 920 on the JT The Brick Show. Thank you, JT, on behalf of the 12th man for dedicating your show last week to the late John Clayton. Loved all the stories you shared, JT, about spending time with the professor along with those of the guests that you had on. And your listeners, JT, are used to hearing waves of emotion from shock waves to tidal waves to breaking waves. But, man, last week we could hear the, the flowing creek rolling over the rocks of your words on what John Clayton meant to you. And I know I speak for my fellow Clayton cronies and all the Seahawkers out here when I say thank you to Raider Nation for paying your respects to John Clayton last week right here on the JT The Brick Show. I grew up in Tacoma in the 70s, JT. I remember John Clayton starting with the Tacoma News Tribune. I have John Clayton newspaper columns in storage from those days. And then with everyone else, JT, I watched the meteoric rise of a football nerd to rock star status as ESPN boldly went where no other TV sports had gone before. And of course, at the same time, sports radio was emerging. I'm not sure who hitched their wagon to who, but John Clayton and KJR took a long road trip together. And JT, that run uh, during it, John Clayton picked up a nickname that fit him as perfectly as the professor which came about when he told the story of trying to check into a Chicago hotel, probably on one of his booming training camp tours, being told by the desk clerk that he had already checked in, and the imposter was in his room, and John Clayton would have to accept a room that was not his. Wow. And the story ended with him saying, I was kind of mad about it, because I'm John Clayton, damn it. And Groz and Gas wove that story into the opener for their mm. segment with him, John Clayton played along. Fans in Seattle started calling him John Clayton, damn it, and the professor embraced it. Awesome. I created a website yeah, that, uh, that, that has since morphed into a Facebook page. And, man, John Clayton couldn't have been more gracious by letting me run with it, talk about it on the show, and jokingly become okay. the only member of the John Clayton paparazzi. And get this, JT. In 2007, I created the character John Clayton, 
007 by photoshopping him into all of the iconic Bond movie posters in celebration mm -hmm. of his pro football. My friend, my friend, I love this. I love everything. I got to get going. I have a guest coming up. But thank you for listening online. Thank you for paying respects to our friend John Clayton. He had a big impact on your life. And let everybody know in Raider Nation I'll that we're, we're here down the road. Appreciate it. Thank you, sir. Thank you very much. I appreciate the John Clayton tribute. Thank you very much. 702-365-9200. John Clayton had an impact on a lot of people. I opened up the show with Taylor Hawkins of Foo Fighters who passed away. He had an impact on millions of people. And when someone passes away, we spend a few minutes and talk about the impact that they had on all of us. 702-365-9200. Josh McDaniels spoke today. We have a lot more sound coming up. Uh, next, Monty Johnson will join us as we look back at every decade of the Raiders draft. We'll go to 1973, the second round, the 49th pick, the linebacker out of Nebraska, who played again in some of the greatest games of all time, not just Raider history, NFL history, Monty Johnson on deck. This JT the Brick Legends moment is brought to you by M Resort, the official team headquarters hotel of the Las Vegas Raiders. Burrow is going to throw it here on third down. Throws it in underneath. Not going to get the first down. It's going to be short of it by four yards, and the Raiders have done their job. The Bengals are forced to punt. Brett Musburger on the call, Raider Nation Radio. JT back with you. Our legend segment as we look back at the history of the Raiders draft brought to you by M Resort Spot and Casino. Uh, the M, great place to go and go to the Raiders Tavern and Grill. Monty Johnson, kind enough to join us, the Raider world champion, the great linebacker and leader of the Silver and Black. And Monty, good to talk to you again. And thanks for sharing some memories of your draft experience from the Raiders alumni department. Let's kick it off. Uh, I remember your career at Nebraska because I worked with David Hum. Tom Hum's in our building. You had a brilliant career on the defensive line, rolling into a linebacker. When did you believe you had a chance to be drafted and become an NFL player? Hey, JT, it's great to be with you again. Uh, the answer to the question is, I didn't think I was going to get drafted. I thought at best uh, I was hoping to be, um, to get a tryout um, as, you know, a free agent, somebody that would find an interest in me and so forth, because I never started at Nebraska. I was second team. And lo and behold, uh, on January 30th, 1973, my uh, lives just turned upside down when I was the fourth linebacker taken in the draft in the second round, the 49th pick by the Oakland Raiders. But it's incredible. You're downplaying what you did at Nebraska. When you did get in, you made an impact, and you were a hell of a player. So what was it from not being a starter to being a great teammate that your coaches saw and Mr. Davis and the Raider organization that plucked you out? All right, two stories, JT, real quick, if I can. Yeah. So after my senior, at the end of my senior year, we played Notre Dame in the Orange Bowl. Uh, and then after that game was over with, I had asked my coach, Bob Devaney, if he could try to get me into a postseason bowl game, you know, like senior bowl, et cetera. And there was a game in Tampa that he was going to coach called the All-American Bowl. 
And he pulled some strings and got me an invitation. And the way that he got me the invitation that he convinced Rich Glover, who won the Outland Trophy that year, to come and play in that game. Because they were looking for some, you know, big-name players mm-hmm. to play in it. Well, they had one really big-name player that played in that game, and his name was John Matuzak. And so um, I get invited to go to this game. And um, we get up there in the middle of the week. We played um, – I'm, if memory treats me, we played the game like on a Monday night, the Orange Bowl, and then we flew up on Wednesday, and, and that was our first day of practice. And all we had on was just, you know, short, uh, shorts and helmets, no pads, nothing. And we were just kind of just running through drills and exercises. And as we were doing a, um, a drill for the offensive linemen, the defensive linemen were helping them out, but they needed somebody to be a linebacker. And so all these other guys are the All-Americans. They're the all-world people. So they're all the ones that are, you know, the active players as the down linemen. And here I am. And I said, okay, I'll do it. And I raised my hand. And 20 feet away, watching that drill, was Al Davis and Ron Wolf. And it was a 15-minute drill, maybe 20 minutes at the most. And... How I know this all happened was because um, of Tom Grimes, who used to be in the front office, told me this after he picked me up and took me down to training camp in my rookie year. Monty, so, jo- go ahead. Yeah, Monty, this, I'm just reintroducing you. Monty Johnson's our guest. I believe in fate. So you believe, and we're told this, that that 15-minute drill, you don't raise your hand. You go out there and you play and you play linebacker. You have good practices, but... If that moment doesn't happen, do you believe that was the portal you went through that really changed your life as a football player? I think that 15 minutes, Al Davis made a decision that I could play linebacker and he was going to draft me. And he turned it. He turned to Ron Wolf and said, I don't know when we're going to pick him, but he can play any one of seven positions for us. We're going to draft him. Incredible. And now fast forward. A, a few weeks, because remember, the draft back then was done in January. So January 30th, 1973, the first day of the draft. Well, I know I'm not going to get drafted. So I head off to, to my classes. Novel idea to go to class, right? So I went to <laughs> class. Come back, and I'm sitting in my apartment, and there's a knock on the door, and it's the guys that live across the hall. And they say, have you heard anything? Have you heard anything? Guys, listen, I am not going to get picked today. This is the first day, rounds one through seven. Not going to happen. Maybe tomorrow, but, you know, nothing's going to happen. So they leave. Ten minutes later, the phone rings. And I answer the phone, and there's a guy on the phone. And he goes, Monty Johnson? I said, yes. This is Gil Brandt with the Dallas Cowboys, and we just drafted you. And I said, you're kidding he says, yes, I am, and he hangs up. And I hear this laughter out in the hallway, and oh. I open the door. And it's the guys that lived across the hall. They just phone-scammed me. Monty, uh, Gil Brandt is the legend at that time with the database. Yes. You'd have to be pretty smart to be your buddies across the hall at that oh. time in 73, know who Gil Brandt is, and get you to bite on that. That's amazing. So now... Ten minutes goes by, and the phone rings again. And this time it's a woman. And I'm thinking, these guys now think I'm an idiot. They've got their <laughs> girlfriend 
to help <laughs> another spoof me. Right. And so she says, Mommy Johnson, I said, yes, please hold for Tom Grimes with the Oakland Raiders. And I'm going, okay. So Tom comes on the phone. He goes, Monty, this is Tom Grimes of the Oakland Raiders, and we just drafted you in the second round as the 49th player picked in the draft, the fourth overall linebacker taken. What do you have to say? I said, sure, and I hung up. JT, I literally <laughs> hung up on the Raiders. So then the call, they have to call you right back, right? So 30, min- 30 seconds later, the phone rings again. No operator this time. And I said, he, Tom, Tom goes to me, Monty, this is Tom Grimes of the Oakland Raiders, and we just did draft you in the second round. And I said, oh, crap. <laughs> but it wasn't crap. I'm sure. And he goes, Monty, let me remind you that you're on a speakerphone. And Mr. Davis is in the room, along with Coach Madden. And there's some press in the Bay Area as well. But they're really, we've got some questions we want to ask you. And, JT, that is all I remember about that phone call. I don't remember anything else after that because I'm sitting there saying to myself, oh, my gosh, I just hung up on the Oakland Raiders. Monty Johnson joins us, the Raider legend. We look back at his draft story out of Nebraska, 1973, second round, 49th pick. So that story is about as amazing of a story as I've ever heard in all my years here. You get to the team, the 72 Dolphins we remember, the 73 Raiders, 74, 75. All of a sudden, Monty Johnson's playing in the greatest games, not only in Raider history, some would say in NFL history. You're fighting for a position on the team when did it hit you early on, Monty, that you were playing for a great team with legendary future Hall of Famers and you were going to th- be thrown in to some of the most important plays and decisions of your career as a football player? Well, you know, I, I get to training camp my rookie year and, you know, I'm meeting people like George Blanda and Bob Brown and Fred Belitnikoff and Ken Stabler and Daryl Lamonic. I mean, a year ago, a year earlier, I was watching them play football, you know, this last fall, right, mm-hmm. the previous season. Because on Sunday afternoons, we'd all gather around, we'd watch the game of the week, and it was almost always the Raiders that were on because it was the second half of a doubleheader. So we watched them almost every week, and I'm, now I I'm find myself on the field with these exact same guys that I had been watching on TV, and I get thrown right into the middle of it, and I've got to perform and I get into a drill and all of a sudden I you know I knocked down George Beeler and I pushed Clarence Davis out of the way and I tackled Marv Hubbard and put him on his back in the backfield and I'm going well wait a minute maybe I can do this and I began to realize that I could play with those guys when uh, as a result of that little scrimmage we had in training camp my rookie year. Monty Johnson is our guest looking back at his draft story courtesy of the Raiders so, you know, from following the Raiders as long as I had, and there's so many fans listening that knows, knows the team better than I do, it seemed like you were the ultimate fraternity member of a team. Some of the misfits, some of the legends that you understood early, Monty, that you had to make a name for yourself, be vocal, be in the middle of the pile, be a guy that John Madden could trust. What was that like? Who, who helped you become that man, that young man, who ended up being a great Oakland Raider? Well, I think 
it was it was a combination of, of, of a couple of things. One, it was my teammates and the confidence that they put into me. When I took over the starting job in 75, uh, you know, Dan Connors had been the, the only the second or third middle linebacker that the Raiders had ever had. Maybe the second one, and I was the third middle linebacker. And, but these guys came alongside me and gave me their support, including people like Willie Brown. You know, I walked into the huddle, and there's Willie Brown. And, he's, you know, his first response was, you know, Moth, come on, let's go. And then, but the guy that really probably made the big difference in my life was Don Shinnick, my linebacker coach. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he knew and saw that I had something and, and, but he, and he took all of the wisdom that he had over that 13 or 14 year career that he had. And he poured it all and made it available to me to help me, taught me how to be able to, to read, um, uh, uh, the running play, looking through the offensive lineman into the backfield. The guard blocks down. This this is what's going to happen. These are the only two or three things that can occur, and you can just go through your mind and check the boxes that, uh, to eliminate what's going to happen so you can make the play. Um, taught me how to be able to you know, make sure that you cut off the inside of a running back on a pass. Mm-hmm. Ma- never letting – never let, never giving the inside. Letting – make the quarterback throw that hard – you know, 10 yard out or eight yard out pass rather than having just run that little dink uh, cross across the middle. Stuff like that. Um, Those are the things that made the difference. Monty Johnson, as we wrap it up. So during your career with the Raiders, 11 playoff games, six AFC championship games. I repeat that six, two Super Bowls, played in some of the greatest games. Walk me through the Super Bowl victory as you're standing on the field you knew you took control of the game. The Villa Piano play at the goal line. They're about to score. Then all of a sudden, Kenny, Fred, everybody takes over the game, and you bury the Minnesota Vikings. What was it like to look up in the Rose Bowl, the enormity of that crowd, when you knew you were about to become a world champion? You know, I, I think that it happened early in the fourth quarter um, when, when – uh, I tackled um, Chuck Foreman for a loss in the backfield, and the next play, Willie Hall uh, intercepted a pass against Fran Tarkington, who, by the way, I believe should have been the defensive player of the mm-hmm. game. Willie, Willie Brown. Hall. Yep. W- Willie Hall. Oh, Willie Hall, right. Willie okay. Brown. Willie Hall. And so, um, and then, of course, we marched, we marched down the field, scored touchdown. And then the next series of plays is when Willie Brown here sets the pass, and then that's just really what, you know, put the cherry on top of the float and just, you know, button it all up. And then it was just fun because, you know, it doesn't really, a lot doesn't matter. We know what they're going to have to do, and, and we're able to defense them in such a way. And you just got to be able to enjoy those last seven or eight minutes of that game, knowing the fact that we're world champions. Amazing story. Hey, Monty, lastly, you saw what this team is doing here in the offseason. Devontae Adams. Chandler Jones has more sacks in the NFL than anyone since 2012. We're talking 10 years. They're bringing him in still in his prime. Josh McDaniels, Dave Ziegler, the GM. Uh, There was a coaching change, as you know. There were a lot of problems last year off the field with some players, but the team still won 10 games. What's your yeah. optimism like in the AFC now in this arms race and how the Raiders have positioned themselves to build a world champion down the road here shortly? I mean, we're, we're, we're going in the right direction. Uh, I think we've made some changes in the front office. I think there's changes in, in the coaching staff and getting, getting the right players to surround the, the people that, that 
um, can take us to where they need to be able to take us. Um, I, I, I think defensively they need some linebackers. Mm-hmm. And you know, I, I, I was with Gus Otto not too long ago, and Gus and I were joking that we thought we had one more play left in us <laughs> that we could give the Raiders. Not one more game, just one more play. <laughs> All we need is one more. I would expect we're going to see you out here a bunch. So, Monty, I talked to you after Coach Madden died. You were kind with your time. This is this is a great backstory that Raider fans need to know about your draft history and story. Thanks so much for doing this. I hope we can talk a bunch more this season. Thanks, JT. Take care. Y'all take care, and God bless. God bless you. There he is, Monty Johnson. Really a great player, one of the great middle linebackers in Raider history. The third one ever to do it. He's now 70 years old. And as you see him in the background with his big mustache and sitting on the sidelines behind John Madden and Stabler and Bolitnikoff when they won the Super Bowl, Super Bowl eleven, he had a big role in that game. And he talked about his plays. But the fact, I love these stories and these conversations I'm having because it all comes down to a theme. All of these legends who we're talking to from the 60s, 70s, we'll get to the 80s and 90s, they had no idea where they were going to go. Do we all understand this? Unless you're the number one pick in the draft, you don't know where you're going. Charles Woodson, who we'll talk to down the road. Someone can take you one pick earlier. You're not a Raider. Monty Johnson did not think he'd be drafted in seven rounds. He's taken in the second round because of that drill where he raised his hand and volunteered and Al Davis saw it with Ron Wolf and said, he's a Raider. And it changed his life to the point where it had an effect on his life, which changed everything. Once a Raider, always a Raider. As we take a look back at the draft, got Raymond Chester this week. I mean, we're getting the big guns in here, everybody. We're asking for the big names or the best stories, and we're getting them. We appreciate the Raiders and their alumni department for the help in this project that we're doing. Flying through the first hour, the Latino voice of the Raiders. Harry Ruiz will join us in studio at the top of the hour. We'll take some calls and talk about the owners' meeting coming up. That mix with, and obviously Aaron, you know, we had an amazing trust level as well. So that's not, I'm not slighting Aaron, you know, trusting me at all there. But um, that's that's one of the things that I really loved about Derek is that, you know, he trusted me to, you know, throw the ball up. He'll, he'll, uh, you know, he trusts my 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 football acumen, whatever it was, just trusting my that I knew what I was doing and what I what I was talking about at all times. So that helped a lot. That's Devontae Adams, JT, back with you, brought to you by SalmonAshLaw.com because you deserve what's right. Sam and Ash work hard to get you full and fair compensation so you do less and get more. They'll even help you get your car repaired. They'll do it all. My personal injury attorneys, 702-820-1234. We're looking back at the life of Taylor Hawkins of Foo Fighters, the drummer who passed away on Friday. That hurt. That hurt in a big way. Going to hurt Vegas. Because they love playing Vegas. So prayers out to the entire Foo Fighters family and all their fans out there after a tough weekend. So you just heard Devontae. It's starting to become more of a national story, but we are in the offseason. So it's a big story in Green Bay. He didn't want to be in Green Bay. How do you not want to be in Green Bay when you have the easiest road to the Super Bowl? The road is easier in Green Bay. They play in a very weak division. Tremendously weak. He's got the MVP, back-to-back MVP, who's not going anywhere. And Devontae would have got the money to stay there. 
He left because he did not have a great relationship from what everybody's saying with Aaron Rodgers. I'll interview him and ask him, and I'm sure he's not going to tell me that it was a bad interview, but it's nowhere near the relationship that he has with Derek Carr. Today's Derek Carr's birthday. We wish Derek nothing but the best. Had a recent hole-in-one. Great family man, and he's in line for a contract extension. So the media is going to pick up on this story if Green Bay struggles early. If they're not able to get off to a good start this upcoming year, and they start off 2-2, two and 3-4, two, and four, they're just not clicking early in the season if their schedule's tough. A lot of people are going to go back to the move of Devontae wanting out of Green Bay and coming to Las Vegas. It should have been a slam dunk for him to potentially stay in Green Bay if Aaron Rodgers would have spoke up. Didn't seem like he did. Didn't seem like either one of them cared. And that's hard to believe because he's an MVP, Aaron Rodgers, and he's better than Derek Carr, and he's better than pretty much everybody in the sport. And Devontae wanted Vegas. That is a great sign. Harry Ruiz, the Latino voice of the Raiders, for the next 20 minutes. Mark Anderson, and a look at the numbers and the odds for the Final Four. we got a busy hour coming up next.